This is Kick-Ass News. I'm Ben Mathis. Hey, listeners, it's that time of year again, and I'm going to ask a favor of you if you enjoy Kick-Ass News and want to keep us going. In order to support our show, we'll need the help of some great advertisers. And in order to find great advertisers, we'll need to learn a little bit more about you. So please, go to podsurvey.com kick and take a quick anonymous survey that will help us get to know you a little better. That way, we can show advertisers just how great our listeners are. Plus, once you've completed the survey, you can choose to enter for a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Terms and conditions apply. Again, that's podsurvey, P-O-D-S-U-R-V-E-Y dot com slash kick. Thanks for your help, and thanks for listening. It's happened to all of us. Right before an important presentation, the printer runs out of ink. Brother Inkvestment tank printers help put a stop to this and can literally change the way you ink. With your choice of up to one or two years of ink included in box, Inkvestment Tank helps eliminate the expense and hassle of frequently buying and replacing ink cartridges. Learn more at changethewayyouink.com. And now, enjoy the show. Hi, I'm Ben Mathis. Welcome to Kick-Ass News. My guest today is a rare breed indeed. He's a Frenchman who loves America. So much so that he actually wants the U.S. to continue to be a dominant player on the world stage, and he worries that America's retreat under President Donald Trump is leaving a vacuum to be filled by leaders who don't share our democratic values. Bernard-Henri Lévy is one of the West's leading intellectuals, and he makes his case in a passionate cri de coeur titled The Empire and the Five Kings, America's Abdication and the Fate of the World. Today, Bernard-Henri Lévy joins me on the podcast where he accuses President Trump of following the same path of retreat begun by Barack Obama and suggests that he's left behind a void that is now being filled by five old-world empires that are making an unlikely resurgence. Bernard-Henri talks about the Iran nuclear deal and the larger problem of the Middle East. He discusses his long association with the Kurds, who he says represent a hopeful new path for Islam, and he recalls his own role in the ouster of Libyan dictator Muammar Gaddafi, and whether he still feels the Arab Spring was a good thing. Plus, he gets into Russia's election meddling and the assault on the truth, why he worries that Brexit could lead to the end of the EU, France's recent Yellow Vest protests, and the rise of nationalism and authoritarianism in his own country. Coming up with Bernard-Henri Lévy in just a moment. Bernard-Henri Lévy is widely hailed as France's leading public intellectual, often referred to simply by his initials BHL. He is a philosopher, activist, filmmaker, and author of more than 30 books, and his writing has appeared extensively in publications throughout Europe and the United States. He has served on diplomatic missions for the French government, has been a longtime champion of the Kurds in Iraq and Syria, and has been credited as a key factor in former French President Nicolas Sarkozy's decision to intervene against Muammar Gaddafi in Libya. Now he's written a new book titled The Empire and the Five Kings, 
America's Abdication and the Fate of the World. Bernard Henri, welcome to the show. Thank you. Happy to be with you. Here in the U.S., many of us Americans have this idea that the French don't like us and that the French take umbrage at the U.S.'s outsized role in the world and our cultural influence around the world. But you are a rare breed of Frenchman, Bernard Henri, who loves America and actually wants the U.S. to remain a dominant superpower. What's at the root of this deep affection for our country? There is many roots. First, first root is that I was bred all my childhood in this idea that if America did not exist, I would not exist myself. That if America had not intervened out of its borders in order to defeat Nazism, Jews like my parents would have been exterminated. It's as simple as that. I know in my, in my flesh, I know in my blood what the imperialism for good of America can mean. It meant at this time intervention against the absolute evil. How can I, after that, after having been taught all my childhood that the GIs, that the Americans were those who made Europe free, Jews spared, and myself coming to life, how could I, could I be anti-American? After that, I have also philosophical reasons to which I came when I was much elder, but the main root is the one I just told you. And as a philosopher, how much of your fondness for America is the fact that our country was built on the principles of the French Enlightenment? Uh, this, this is one of the theses of my new book, The Empire and the Five Kings, is this uh, link of light and of life between the European Enlightenment and uh, America. This is the ground, the very ground, the very basis, the very rock on which you are founded. I, I recall in the book that it is one of the important chapters, for me at least, that the founding fathers of your country, those who coasted at, uh, uh, on the east coast of America, were people who read Latin, Latin, the language Latin mm -hmm. of ancient Roma. They, they read in particular Virgil, and they had in their mind the idea that they were resuming, reinventing in a better way the enlightened Europe. They had the feeling that the values of Europe were uh, burnt into flames and that their duty their mission was to do a better Europe, a better renaissance. It was not yet the time of enlightenment, but a better renaissance and to replant uh, the European values in America. So this for me is America. It, it, uh, that's why it's so crazy when I see those fascist European anti-Americanists who don't understand, they are illiterate, they don't understand <laughs> what links us. They don't understand what is the ground and the rock of America, which is this uh, sense of citizenship, this sense of true liberalism, this sense of uh, true um, uh, democratic values. Uh, what kind of a reaction do you get from people in France and all over Europe when you say things like the U.S. is the new and improved Europe? Uh, those who, who know, they agree. The stupid, uh, <laughs> short-minded uh, uh, friends of Le Pen or of Mélenchon, mm -hmm. uh, extreme right, extreme left, of course, they insult me. But uh, what, what can I say? It is just, um, 
it's, it's just the truth. You know, I, I made, I reached that theory in a, for a very, very simple reason, which any single of your, uh, the people who listen to us will understand. They have to look uh, to take in their pocket a bill of one dollar. Any of your auditors, uh, of your hearers, okay. take a bill of one dollar. Look at this bill. They will see that on this bill, there is three sentences in Latin. Three quotes in Latin. One is uh, e pluribus unum. Every American knows mm -hmm. that. But there is two others. I'm sure that those who listen to us don't know quite. One is uh, nuovo ordo seculorum. And uh, 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 the second one is anuit coeptis. So three Latin quotes in an American banknote. One day, a few years ago, I was reflecting. But at the end of the day, why? Why? America on its banknote of one dollar has three sentences of Latin. Then I digged a little and I discovered that this sentence in Latin, these quotes, were quotes of Virgil. And then I discovered that Virgil was the author of a book which was the founding book of Roma. Right. Uh, the Virgil, the man who wrote a poem called Aeneid, who told the story of a man. Um, uh, uh, escaping Troy in flames and reinventing, reinventing, resuming another Troy more true and more valuable in Italy. And my theory is that those who founded America felt that they were new Aeneas, Aeneas, uh, the, the hero of Virgil, leaving the Roman Empire because it is himself uh, given to flames and to fire and to fury and reinventing this new Europe, which I was mentioning, on the coast of America. This is what America is. This is the mission of America. This is what Americans meant when they first said that they were building a shining city upon the hill. This is what American exceptionalism means. So, of course, you have in France some... Uh, a stupid fascist who believe that uh, this means imperialism, blah, blah, blah. No, it is a reverse. And I know, and I tell why. I tell the story in this book. And in The Empire and the Five Kings, you express a lot of concern that America is potentially abandoning our Virgilian ties to Europe. You call out President Trump for pulling out of Syria, Iraq, and Afghanistan, showing weakness against the Saudis and Vladimir Putin, abandoning the Kurds. But you also have equal condemnation for President Obama, who you say offered the Middle East to Putin and Iran. It's rather ironic, isn't it, that President Trump, who expresses such a visceral dislike for President Obama and usually seems to do the exact opposite of whatever Obama did, appears to have followed such a similar policy of retreat in the Middle East. This is one of the theses of my book, yes. Uh, on many regards, they are the opposite. And on many regards, uh, of course, I, I prefer uh, Barack Obama. But, and I not only prefer, I, uh, if I had been an American, I would have voted for him, uh, I would uh, regret him and so on. But on this ground of foreign policy, on this ground of building a new isolationism, on this ground of um, uh, abandoning our your allies, they are uh, quite similar. Mm -hmm. And President Trump 
is just following the trace of President Obama. Or to say it in another way, this abdication of America, which I regret, is such a deep stream, a deep movement, that at the end of the day, Obama or Trump regarding that are epiphenomenons. I regret that, of course. I would love to say that it is just the fault of Trump and that because Trump, okay, you will have Trump for another two extra years, maybe six, but that's another question. I don't believe it. Uh, mm-hmm. But then it will be over. Alas, it is not as simple. Uh, and it would be a bit, this is another theory of my book, it would be a deep mistake from my point of view. I say that with all my my humble friendship to American people to believe that Trump is the only problem and that uh, to put uh, to, to have Trump out would be the perfect solution. It is not true. Trump is not the problem. Outing Trump or impeaching Trump would not be the solution. It is not as simple as that. Uh, simply by the, by the fact, this is another theory of the book, uh, the fact that you have in the U.S. a terrible left also. You have the most stupid right you ever had, and you have the most stupid left you ever had also. The the left of Bernie Sanders, mm-hmm. the left of some of the candidate, the possible candidates, Democrats in the first election, the left of uh, Noam Chomsky, who is just an intellectual, but who is taking some importance, is a left which I don't find much more sympathetic than uh, than the, the, the right of Trump. So America today is uh, has to wake up, uh, as we have to wake up in Europe. We, we are in even a worse position because the situation, the, the populism is everywhere. The populism is on the left and on the right. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to hear you talk about the far left and the far right here in the U.S. I wonder, is there some hope that Europe may have a better path ahead simply because most European countries seem to have some form of a centrist party that is a viable party, whereas here in the U.S., both parties have gone to total extremes? I know. And and what is sad and heartbreaking is that America, U.S., was for so long the fatherland of moderation. Mm-hmm. And uh, in America, you have had for so much decades the courage, courage of moderation. Uh, it needs courage to be a moderate, and it needs cowardice to be an extremist. Mm-hmm. And we, European and you Americans, fall too often in the cowardice of extremism. When I see in America, in the U.S., when I see the identity politics, when I see the uh, leftist anti-Semitism, when I see the um, extent of the BDS, BDS, Boycott Disinvestment Sanction Movement Against Israel, all this comes from the left. That's too too easy, mm-hmm. ta- too easy target, honestly, and it is so sad. And I am, it's such a sorrow for me because I am a liberal, that it comes from the liberal side. You know, in England, you have Jeremy Corbyn, Jeremy Corbyn, yeah. uh, who is a true anti-Semite, a true anti-Semite. Uh, and you have today, um, how would I say, a Jeremy Corbynization, a Jeremy Corbynization of the left uh, in most of the parts of the West including USA, mm-hmm. on the campuses of San Francisco, 
of Los Angeles, you have, alas, a, co a, a Corbynization. And this is incredible because Jeremy Corbyn, a few years ago, appeared as a has-been, an old-style <laughs> politician right. who had uh, spitted his last <laughs> dark uh, pearls of oysters. But no, he, he knows a comeback like uh, Noam Chomsky, standing as these embodiments of this um, radical, right, extreme rightist left. Extreme rightist left. This is Jeremy Corbyn and Jeremy Corbynization of the liberal USA. And it's interesting to hear you say that you would have voted for President Obama and you still identify as a liberal or left of center because I have to say, Bernard Henry, a lot of what you're saying very much sounds like what I would hear from a traditional economic or foreign policy conservative. Because these distinctions mean less and less today. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, the, the real distinction is, uh, are you uh, in favor of identity politics or are you in favor of um, alterity politics? politics of otherness, mm -hmm. politics of opening yourself in a brotherly way to the, to the appeal of the, other, of the otherness. This is a, 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 a topic, a dividing line. Are you in favor of retrenching yourself in the U.S. behind your borders or behind your oceans transformed into borders? Or in you, are you in favor of thinking that mankind is a single family and that democratic values who are good in Los Angeles, good in San Francisco, should be good also in Kabul, in Afghanistan, or in the bombed areas of uh, and massacred areas of Syria. These are the dividing line. Conservative, etc. This is old world. Mm -hmm. You have now new diving, uh, dividing lines. And I can be, I am a liberal on many grounds, but if it means to be a conservative to say that uh, democracy is good for everyone, if it is cons to be a conservative to say that I prefer an America uh, uh, altruist than an America egoist, if it is to be um, uh, a conservative to say that uh, uh, the people, the people can be wrong, can vote for Hitler, uh, can uh, uh, vote for the extreme, then I am a conservative. Mm -hmm. Okay, but <laughs> this is the truth. The, the populist today in America and in Europe, this is another thesis of the Empire of the Five Kings. Those populists who say the people, whatever he says, the people is saint, I'm sorry, but they are fascist because sometimes the people can say terrible things, can want his own slavery, and then the people is wrong. Mm -hmm. Say it in other words. What I explain in my book is that, of course, the people in democracy is sovereign, but a sovereign has not to be never ever an absolute sovereign. A sovereign is never absolute. A sovereign, any shape it has, has to be checked and balanced. So sure. when the sovereign is the people, the people also has to be checked and balanced. The people also has to see his sovereignty limited in certain cases. I would have loved the German people seeing his sovereignty limited when he voted for Hitler or for Hindenburg, who then voted, uh, 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 called for Hitler in 1933. 
uh, and I would have loved uh, uh, the American people being limited when he was by uh, a strong majority or at least a big number in favor of neutrality in the 30s uh, till uh, the strong decision of uh, FDR to enter into the war against Nazism. This theories which I expressed in The Empire and the Five Kings. I don't know if they are conservative or not conservative. <laughs> For me, this is to be a true liberal. Mm -hmm. For example, what I say also in my book is that defending Israel, this is what true liberal, true liberalism means. I don't defend Israel because I'm a conservative like Sheldon Adelson. I defend Israel because Israel is the embodiment of the liberal values for which I did fight since my youth. We're going to take a quick break, and then I'll be back with more with Bernard-Henri Lévy when we come back in just a moment. If there's something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals, BetterHelp Online Counseling can help. BetterHelp offers licensed professional counselors who are specialized in issues such as depression, anxiety, relationships, trauma, anger, family conflicts, LGBT matters, grief, self-esteem, and more. Connect with your professional counselor in a safe and private online environment and get help at your own time and at your own pace. Anything you share is confidential, and it's so convenient you can schedule secure video or phone sessions as well as chat and text with your therapist. If for some reason you're not happy with your counselor, though, you can request a new one at any time for no additional charge. Best of all, it's a truly affordable option. Kick-Ass News listeners even get 10% off your first month with the discount code KICK. So why not get started today? Go to betterhelp.com slash kick. Then, simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with a counselor you'll love. That's betterhelp.com slash kick. One more time, betterhelp.com slash kick. And now, back to the show. Now, you suggest that America's retreat from a leadership position in the world is leaving behind a void that's going to be filled by five former empires that are making something of a resurgence. Can you tell us more about those five? I can't tell you their names. <laughs> you have uh, the Turkey of the neo-Sultan Erdogan. Mm. You have the China of uh, Xi Jinping, who puts his feet in the footsteps of the old empires of the old Ming dynasties and so on. You have the Arabs of uh, Mr. MBS, uh, the Mr. So, uh, uh, the murderer of, uh, of Khashoggi. You have uh, the Iran of the Mullahs, uh, who are the who feel themselves as being the inheritors of a great empire who collapsed and they want to revive it today. And you have, last but not least, the maybe the, most, the leader of the five, uh, who is Putin. Putin feels himself. We, under, we, we overestimate Trump. We speak too much about him in the conversation in America. We speak too much about Trump. And we speak not enough about Putin. Putin is the key. Putin has a real ideology, has a real program, and, we, and has a real target, which is to harm us. Not you, not me. Mm -hmm. But when I say us, I mean 
the sort of civilization which our fathers, grandfather, grand-grandfather built with their, their sweat and their, and, 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 and their blood. Putin wants to destroy this civilization based on tolerance, on equality between men and uh, women and men, uh, based on uh, free expression, and so on and so on. He has this uh, idea to weaken and to destroy, for example, Europe, and he says it uh, 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 word by word. Mm -hmm. It is not a hidden agenda. It's a real agenda. And why is Putin uh, advancing? Because he takes advantage of your and our uh, abdication. The political nature hates the emptiness. Sure. When there is an emptiness, it is filled immediately. That's the, the, key, the key of my, my explanation in this book. America, when America leaves, decides to leave, announce that he leave, she leaves Syria, what will happen automatically? <laughs> Bashar al-Assad, uh, Khamenei in Iran, and their master Putin will occupy the space. Same in Afghanistan. Uh, the uh, American administration says, okay, we lost too much uh, in, uh, in Afghanistan. We leave. What will happen? The ground will be occupied by the Taliban's and by the by by the Russians. So we are on one side saying that these people are rogue states. On the other side, we deliver to them on a silver plate entire parts of the world. Yeah. I'm sorry, but for our honor and for our well understood interest, this is a disaster. And I regret that Mr the great, this great American man of honor who was John McCain is not here to tell that at my place. Yeah. And I, I, I hope to see more John McCain's if it is possible, if it is uh, possible to have such honorable men uh, coming soon uh, to, 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 to say that on the stage of the political debate in the West and in America especially. Yeah. So you see Russia rather than China being the driving factor of these five empires. Why is that? Is that because China has increasingly built stronger ties with the EU? No, it's because my theory in the book is that China uh, has the money, but Russia for the moment has the brain. Mm. The brain is Putin and, uh, and the Chinese are using Russia to advance their position. There is a close link between the two. There is a real alliance between the two and between the two and Iran. And now Turkey. You had, uh, I comment that in the book, you had uh, just after the uh, October, to, to, uh, at the end of October 2017, there was a big meeting about Syria and about the Kurds between Erdogan, Putin and uh, and uh, and uh, the president, the, the prime minister of of Iran, and this was like uh, the photo of a gang. They are allied. They are a mafia, yeah. a mafia yeah. of gangsters who are also presidents and who are hoping to to build true empires. And believe me, when we speak about American imperialism, it is a joke because America has never been a real imp imp empire. When you speak of those guys, 
they are true imperialists mm. and they really don't joke with their own imperialism. To be under the rule of the imperialist Russia, believe me, ask to your listeners who come from Czechy or from Poland what it means yeah. to be under the root of the Russian empire during the communism and during the Putinism. So then I'm curious, where do you fall on the Iran nuclear agreement? Was Trump right to withdraw from the agreement? What strikes me is the inconsistency, the non-consistency of the American diplomacy. Mm -hmm. You cannot, with one hand, to, to erase to the, the nuclear agreement, and on the other hand, to give Iraq, to give Syria, to give tomorrow Lebanon, uh, to give, uh, I don't know, to, 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 to which it will reach, to, to the same Iran. It's an inconsistent policy. That's what I, what, yeah. what I believe. Iran is a real big piece of animosity. The question is how to contain Iran. Is it with a nuclear agreement? Is it without a nuclear agreement? Is it, uh, uh, but it is certainly not by, by, by abandoning the only one who f did fight on the battlefield against Iran, which were the Kurds. They did fight against Iran. Right. Against Iran. We abandoned them. It is certainly not by making them, the Iranians, the kings of uh, Baghdad and the kings of Damas. Today, they are kings in Damas, kings in, the, in Iraq. And if you say that, Damascus, Baghdad, Tehran, what does this mean? It means a sort of the seed, the, the, the beginning of the empire of which they dream. And where does this empire come from? From the bravery of the Iranian soldiers of General Soleimani? No. It comes from the fact that for reasons which I try to understand in my book, we offered them to occupy this role. We offered it to them. Mm -hmm. This is what I mean in the title of the book when I speak. It is strong words of American abdication. And you've been a close ally of the Kurds for many years now. And in the book, you say that the Kurds point the way toward a more enlightened democratic form of Islam that actually respects women and minority religions and wants to be a part of the world, not isolated from it. Do you think the Kurds will ever get that opportunity? Will they ever get the respect that they deserve? It's, my, it's one of my dearest hopes. Dearest hopes for two reasons for them, because they deserve, because they, they paid so much, such a high price of blood to defend their dream, and by the way, to defend you, your listeners, and me, which means to defend us against terrorism. If someone prevented more terrorism, prevented another September 11 or another Charlie Hebdo or Bataclan in France, it is the Kurds because they held the line. I saw that. This is the beginning of my book. I was there. I was on the front line with them. I shared their life and their hopes. And I can tell you that they were our ramparts preventing others September 11. Number one. So I, I would like a reward for them for this first reason. Reason number two, 
I believe, and, and, you, and a lot of people believe, that in this Middle East, which is so chaotic, there is one pole of stability. You know what it is? It is Israel. Because it is the democratic state, it is a pole of stability. There could be two poles of stability, and two is better than one. And the second one would be an independent Kurdistan. It is the wish of Israel, by the way. It is the strategy of Israel, by the way. It is the reason why Israel was the only country in the world to support the referendum which was organized two years ago, by the way. But it is in the best interest of the democracies and of the West. This reward to the Kurds, this rewards to their bravery and heroism would be as often because the world is not so badly shapen, would be as often also in our best interest. And then, my friend, when moral, when ethics means interest, that's the best. <laughs> that's honestly the best. And this is what happened with this topic of Kurdistan. Now, I mentioned in the introduction that you were also very instrumental in persuading former President Nikolai Sarkozy to support the Arab Spring in the overthrow of Libyan dictator Muammar Gaddafi. Looking back at what's happened in Libya, Syria, Egypt, and elsewhere in the region, do you still feel that the Arab Spring was a net positive? What I know is that when a, any people on the planet shows signs that he wants to push the door of democracy and enter in the, in the room of democracy, we have to open the door not to close it. We have to open the door. He enters or does not enter, but we Democrats cannot be those who say, no, the door is locked. Mm -hmm. Their responsibility is to open or not. Our responsibility is not to lock the door, number one. Number two, Arab Spring, I don't know. What I can say when I look back is what happens in Syria and what happens today. Not back, today. In Syria and in Libya. Compare the two situations. In Syria, there was no, invol no intervention of the West, okay? In Libya, there was intervention of the West partly because of the role of a few intellectuals, including me, okay? What is the difference? In Libya, where there was intervention, you have disorder, you have some chaos, you have a sort of a low intensity chaos, which is not bad, which is but which is not good, but which is not uh, uh, comparable to what happens in Syria. Because in Syria, where you had no intervention. In Syria, you had no intervention. What do you have? High-intensity chaos, millions of refugees, entire cities bombed and erased from the surface of the earth. And you have this new Al-Qaeda, which is ISIS, which took birth, my dear friend, if I dare <laughs> say, not in Libya. It took birth in Syria, True. under Bashar al-Assad and in Iraq. And probably because in Syria, probably in, in part, not certainly in part, because we did not intervene. So when you have the fact of sheet, the result of intervention and non-intervention, if you compare the two, the situation is much more preferable in the, play, in the country where we intervened than in the country where we did not. Yeah. 
Well, I also want to ask you about the state of the EU these days. I know that last year you wrote and performed a one-man play in London urging the UK to halt the Brexit plan. Why the interest in Brexit? Do you fear that if the Brits follow through with Brexit, that it might pave the way for a Frexit in your country or a Spexit in Spain? Other countries might break away from the European Union as well? Not only. Of course, that. Though, as you can see, uh, the, the institutions of Europe are quite solid and it is not even so easy to get out from them. But no, I was uh, so... Sorry about the decision to make Brexit because I love uh, Churchill, <laughs> because I love Lord Byron, because I love uh, uh, English democracy, because I love the, the John Locke, the, because I know that human rights were invented by England and because I think that the EU without UK will not be quite the EU which I love. The if... Brexit really happens. Great Britain will become little England, number one. Mm. And number two, EU has the risk of losing one of its numerous or at least three legs. We have Germany, we have France, and we have England. They are the three legs of the very strange ship who is EU. EU is a strange ship with three legs. If we lose one leg, which is the Churchillian leg, it might be a slow disaster, a slow motion disaster for Europe. That's why I uh, I did that um, uh, just before summer in Cadogan Hall in London. Yes, you are right. You have good memory. Do you think that the Gilet Jaune or the Yellow Vest protests in Paris represent the early stirrings of a movement for France to abandon the EU? It is the if this if they had succeeded which they don't have yes of course it was uh, one of the it was part of the agenda yellow jacket is two things a legitimate protest for more justice on one side but on the other side a terrible ideology a populist ideology with some words of hatred against uh, Minorities, uh, gays, uh, Jews, uh, women, and uh, and just those who don't follow them, who are unacceptable, and which are part of the darkest side of the French history. But and in the in the scope, you had probably yes the the wish of a France retreating behind its own old roots and borders and turning the back to the grand large of Europe. I think that they failed. You know, who are the Gilets Jaunes? Because I understand that they originally were farmers and truckers protesting the gas tax, but now it seems more like what happened to the Tea Party in the U.S., where I really don't quite know what they stand for because there's so many voices involved, and I'm not even sure that they know what they stand for. No, they don't know what they... They don't know what they stand for, what they stand for, but God knows. And what God knows, if I dare say, you you have really, if you make a mix of Bernie Sanders and of Steve Bannon, if you make a sort of morphing of the two, it might be one of the faces of our horrible future, which we have to prevent. 
and it can be the face of uh, a lot, some, a lot of our yellow jacket. Yeah. And it is not it is not for nothing, by the way, that uh, people of Steve Bannon are uh, campaigning in Europe and in France also in order to push this sort of movement. And you have some people, Bernie Sanders, no, but people who are close to the ideology of, Jeremy, of uh, Bernie Sanders or Jeremy Corbyn, and who also campaign in the whole Europe to push these sort of movements like Yellow Jacket. You have an, uh, an international. It is not uh, the Marxist international. It is this right, left, leftist, rightist, rightist, leftist international of the populist movements all over the way, all across the West, including USA. And President Macron's answer to their demand for citizen referendums was to establish a series of public debates about the problems facing France. Some in France see this as a cynical ploy to pacify the angry mob, while others think that it's a statesmanlike attempt to bridge this divide and bring the country back together. What do you think? Aren't you concerned that he's giving too much power to the mob and allowing, so to speak, the lunatics to run the asylum? No, because he says at the same time that he will not uh, abandon his own cape, his own uh, the the program on which he was elected. He does he does not uh, uh, withdraw from an inch from that of an inch. No, no, no. He just uh, does his job of a democratic leader. When you leader, when you have an anger, you try to listen to the to the the honest and decent part of this anger, his right to do that. Mm -hmm. uh, no no compromise with the worst, absolutely not, no, no. And cynical, tactical, I hope he's a little tactical. <laughs> I hope he, he, he tries the best way to reunify uh, this great country, which is France. We don't want uh, an America divided. We don't want a France divided. We, because when it is divided, it means divided between the extremes. Mm -hmm. uh, I would not like an America shared between Bernie Sanders and Steve Bannon. <laughs> uh, le le let's be frank. Uh, yeah. Yes, but it is the way sometimes uh, it looks like. And in France, the same. In France, I would hate a France divided between uh, our Steve Bannon, who is Marine Le Pen, and our Bernie Sanders, who is Jean-Luc uh, uh, Jean Mélenchon. Mm -hmm. We have to do all that we can to prevent that, to prevent that. And this is what Macron tries to do. Mm -hmm. Macron also seems to share your faith in America. Although he's parted with Donald Trump on issues like trade and the Iran nuclear agreement, he does appear to be someone who really believes that America is still that shining city on the hill. How much of the French people's dissatisfaction with Macron has to do with his decidedly pro-American stance? We are not so numerous to believe that because it is one of the cement, one of the concrete of the, of the worst of France, uh, which is the hatred of America. Mm -hmm. To hate America in France is a national sport, a dirty <laughs> national sport, but a national sport. You also in America, you, you had at some point as a national sport to hate uh, French fries right. and so on. Okay. Freedom fries, yes. Uh, but we have, we have that on the reverse. Yeah. And this is so bad. Without the French, we you you, you would not have uh, you would you would not have the shining city upon the hill. Without Lafayette and Beaumarchais and so on and so on. And without America, we would be slave of a Nazi Germany. 
So please, this is the end of my book, the conclusion of the Empire of the Five Kings. Please, let's unite our hands across the Atlantic River, us brothers in arms of America and of France. We are brothers in arms. We are brother, brothers in blood. We are brothers in spirit. We are brothers in taste and, and will of universal, liberal, and democratic values. We should never, ever forget this scope because if we do, then we leave the stage, we leave the ground, we leave the floor to this disgusting Erdogan, Putin, Xi Jinping, uh, and the Iranian mullahs. Yes, you do actually strike a pretty hopeful chord toward the end of the Empire and the Five Kings. You actually say that these old empires, while they're enjoying a revival right this moment, you express considerable skepticism that they'll be able to maintain that momentum and build something lasting. And at the same time, you say, despite your alarm over Donald Trump, you seem to take some comfort in the belief that America will survive Donald Trump. Why are you so hopeful? <laughs> I am absolutely sure that America will survive Donald Trump. <laughs> this, there is absolutely no doubt. And if there is a solid wall somewhere, we are, we are speaking a lot about wall in this moment yes. in the United States. The real wall, I know, is the wall of resistance and made in, in rock of American values. This is a wall, a wall on which... All the Donald Trumps of America are breaking their head and their <laughs> teeth. The, the wall of liberal values, the wall of American creed, the walls of the shining city upon the hill. This is a real uh, solid wall, uh, not this stupid wall uh, against Mexico. The shining city upon the hill, though being a city of dream, has the most consistent and unvulnerable walls, which I know these are the true walls of America. And these walls, believe me, will survive one, two, three, ten shutdowns. <laughs> Hope you will not have that. But these walls are more solid than a shutdown. Well, that's very reassuring. Once more, the book is called The Empire and the Five Kings, America's Abdication and the Fate of the World. Bernard-Henri Lévy, it's been a real pleasure talking to you, and I wish you the very best. Thank you, my dear. Thanks again to Bernard-Henri Lévy for coming on the podcast. Order his book, The Empire and the Five Kings, America's Abdication and the Fate of the World, on Amazon, Audible, or wherever books are sold. Keep up with him on his website at bernard-henri-levy.com and follow him on Twitter at at BHL. Whatever struggles you're facing, from depression and anxiety to trauma and grief, BetterHelp can connect you with a professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. It's so convenient you can schedule secure video or phone sessions as well as chat and text with your therapist and anything you share is completely confidential. Best of all, it's a truly affordable option. Kick-Ass News listeners even get 10% off your first month with the discount code KICK. So why not get started? Simply go to betterhelp.com kick and fill out a questionnaire to get matched with a counselor you'll love today. 
Be sure to subscribe to Kick-Ass News on Apple Podcasts if you haven't already. And if you like what you're hearing, then rate and review us while you're there. Five-star reviews are the easiest way for new listeners to find us. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at at kickassnewspod. And feel free to email me with your thoughts, questions, and suggestions at comments at kickassnews.com. Until next time, I'm Ben Mathis, and thanks for listening to Kick-Ass News. Gas News is a trademark of Mathis Entertainment, Inc.